You're listening to The Sparty Cast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Sparty Lab podcast. I am so excited to be here with a researcher who I've never met before, uh, Dr. Damna Banaku. Am I saying that correctly? Yes, Banaku, it's correct. <laughs> and um, you're joining us from Barcelona. Uh, you're, a P, you're a postdoc at the University of Barcelona in the Event Lab, right? That's correct. Yes, that's, that's true. Thank you for uh, having me here today. Pretty of happy to join course. you. Yeah, it's great to know you uh, in this format. I have known you on paper for years um, because you write some really interesting research papers. So uh, especially about the Proteus effect and avatar effects. So can you give us a little history on how you got into this research? Sure, of course. Um, well, uh, to be honest, it all started when I was uh, studying, uh, doing my uh, bachelor's degree. Uh, in Greece, so I studied uh, computer science and informatics, and uh, my background is on that and uh, computer graphics. And uh, since I got into the world of computer graphics and virtual reality back then, I started reading a little bit more on uh, what can be done. And uh, I came across all these uh, interested uh, studies published by then by Professor Ben Slater and Professor Valenson uh, from Stanford. So I got um, really attracted by the idea of working in virtual reality. And I uh, had also done my, my very first, um, well, um, sort of project. It was just a little project uh, of uh, uh, what, uh, on what happens when you are uh, represented in online virtual worlds uh, using a different type of body inspired by all, by, by all this work that I had read about. And uh, slowly, well, this led me to uh, pursuing a, a master's degree in computer graphics, get more uh, into virtual reality. And then, of course, this is um, I did my I did my master's degree at uh, UCL, and at the time, uh, uh, Professor Slater was uh, was also teaching there. And then I did my um, my final master's thesis with uh, him and Dr. Sylvia uh, Pan. And one thing led to another, and I ended up doing a PhD with Professor Slater. This is yeah, well, that's this, kind of like what a- I am today. It's a little bit of a jump from the um, computer science side to the psychology side, but um, you, you saw the synergy there. Yes, exactly. Well, it's uh, really um, a combination of uh, many different uh, disciplines. So it was um, great for me to, to, to be involved with, uh, with uh, people, with scientists coming from different backgrounds and uh, uh, expand, yes, expand my, my knowledge a bit uh, further than uh, uh, computer science. Yes, right now I'm not really, uh, haven't, I have ended up not doing anything on the computer science side, although I do get involved in uh, the implementation of, uh, of virtual reality experiences. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, that's as far as But it's, it's such a useful background. I think people with the, the hard technical skills um, then come into the social science and they're able to create stimuli. You've got multiple studies in which people are embodying avatars as a child or an adult, black or white. Um, Einstein or, or not uh, not inventor style. And so how um, how involved have you been in kind of the creation of those uh, stimuli? 
Uh, so it's always been uh, a um, uh, discussion with uh, lab members and uh, always, of course, with uh, Professor Slater, uh, who's uh, very good at uh, coming up with uh, great uh, ideas. And thanks to, to the projects I've been involved in all, this, all these years, I've had the opportunity to uh, really work on uh, on, on, on this area and this uh, discipline. and. Um, uh, bring to life some of the, uh, the ideas that might be very small at the beginning, but then when you start talking with people, you end up doing something uh, quite uh, big. So, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's a little bit of a mix what I'm doing. Um, trying, I'm basically involved in uh, all the different phases of, uh, of an experience from the, uh, well, uh, the concept of it, um, uh, doing the experimental design, coming up with the idea or measures, then getting involved in uh, the implementation uh, from a technical point of view and everything that follows, follows after that, you know. That's you, amazing. You are that's that's amazing. really amazing, you know. Um, I, I lack those technical skills. And so I, I certainly like you, I'm involved in the ideation process through the end, but I just, I can't actually sit down with Unity or whatever <laughs> engine we're using and make the thing. Um, so I rely on my students and collaborators for that. Um, so that's really wonderful that you've got the whole range of skills there uh, to do research in this field. Um, it's interesting. I, are many uh, does it, it so of all the labs of all the VR labs um, that study this topic, uh, the event lab Mel Slater's lab in Barcelona is the one that I maybe know least about in the day to day operations. I know the names uh, and some of the people, um, but I just haven't spent time there. Whereas uh, I don't know if I mentioned this to you. I'm I'm actually in Menlo Park right now in uh, the Bay Area visiting, you, I'm teaching online still at Michigan State, but I see yeah. Jeremy on a regular basis, Jeremy Valenson. Um, so I'm aware of who's doing what in this space. And, and of course, he's the one who brought me to the Proteus effect. And I know people in Singapore who are interested in the Proteus effect, a former postdoc of Jeremy's, uh, Benji Lee. Um, but the event lab, so I don't, I, I see all this awesome research, the, uh, the PEC um, study on implicit racial bias, was one of the first ones to hit my radar and I realized, oh wow, they're doing awesome Proteus work in a, in a different way than other people. So um, so could you tell me a little bit about the lab? Uh, what, what's it like working there? Do, does everyone have your amazing range of technical skills? So we've, uh, yes, we've always worked with uh, people at the event lab that uh, come from uh, different backgrounds, I guess like more, uh, most uh, VR, uh, VR labs. So we've had people before uh, who were dedicated, 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 sorry, was on, um, uh, on psychology, maybe on cognitive neuroscience. And then we uh, also have the more technical team. Uh, but I must say that um, perhaps the majority of the members who have joined the lab uh, so far uh, have been combining both uh, skills. So. I think I think it's usually easier when you're coming from a technical background to uh, to bring the knowledge and then slowly start getting into the psychology field and the cognitive neuroscience and build on it rather than the other way around. Although they, there are people who do 
who do love both uh, parts of them might be coming from a psychology background, but they uh, like technical work and they're they are doing great on it. Uh, so yes, it's it's really been a combination of uh, everything <laughs> well, yeah. with all the members of the lab so far. Okay, yeah, uh, it's just such an amazing. Um productive and creative place. The, the research that comes out of that lab is, is certainly not just a, a simple incremental step toward you know, the obvious goal. There are very interesting creative approaches to the research. I met uh, Mel in 2007 uh, or six at the Barcelona Presence Conference. I forget exactly okay. what it was. Um, and he was just starting out there. Um, and then I, I maybe I saw him one other time, but I haven't seen much of him. But I, I really admire the work there. So, um, what's it like working with him? I mean, he's he's clearly very creative and willing to take risks and try new things and funny. His titles are great. Um, so yeah, what's it like working with Mel? Yeah, it's it's great. Uh, actually, I'm very grateful that I've had the the chance to be uh, studying uh, with him and do my uh, PhD with him. Uh, I certainly learned um, a lot on how to do good uh, research. Uh, I know it has all these crazy ideas, but um, he's a hundred percent dedicated to doing uh, good uh, research, and he's he's doing it well. I mean, you know, I, I think that everybody knows, and um, he's also a very open person. So it's really nice uh, talking uh, with him and um, come up with uh, ideas together, and uh, always helps us um, take our, our idea a step uh, step further and uh, make it more interesting, more exciting. So, what are what are some exciting projects um, on your plate right now? Uh, so now we've been uh, working uh, as a team, the, the whole team, the members of the team were working on the um, ERC uh, project that, that Mel got a couple of years uh, back that's called Motive, and it stands for Moments in Time in Immersive Virtual Environments. Uh, so uh, the end goal of the project is to recreate a, um, a virtual uh, concert scenario of a concert that took place uh, in the past. Uh, we specifically tried to um, redo a Dire Straits uh, concert scenario, a concert from uh, back in '83 uh, at uh, Hammersmith Odeon in, in the UK, in London. And um, the idea, although uh, the end goal is not really to to take out a commercial project or anything like that, is just to use this as a platform to conduct research on all the interesting uh, aspects of virtual reality, starting um, well, uh, presence, place illusion, possibility illusion, uh, study body ownership, um, and see how we can go through the experience. Uh, again, if it we're talking about someone who has lived it in the past and would love to relive it, or if you didn't have a chance to, to attend back then, and um, now you finally can. <laughs> And, right. and the idea is really to expand this on um, on more scenarios, not just uh, this one. So my colleagues uh, are doing a lot of work on the computer vision uh, side to replicate that as um, fast and easily as possible so that uh, we take the least amount of time to build it from a um, more artistic point of view, right? So 
uh, we are not artists in the team. There are a lot of uh, people who are dedicated uh, to doing this work and they're doing amazing work, but our goal is to do something more uh, automated, uh, let's say. And so how did you choose this uh, concert, Dire Straits, in the 80s? It, it seems like the participants will have to be uh, at least 45 or 50 years old in order to really have a, an emotional connection to that. So yeah, that again was uh, one of uh, Mel's, uh, Mel's ideas. Um, he didn't have the chance to attend this concert when it took place. And since he missed the chance, he thought that it's never too late. <laughs> He could still do it, and he came up with this wonderful idea of uh, reconstructing the Dire Straits uh, concept okay. from, uh, from my time. Nice. Um, and so, what are some of your expectations there? Um, people will, if they attended, they have a nostalgic connection, or even if they didn't, I think Nell has nostalgia for the the music, the time period, the event. Um, so, what what will you measure? Are, are there any independent variables in the scenario, or is it just Put people in the environment and measure so no we do have a lot of studies like i mentioned before really we use it as a platform to study all these concepts of virtual reality so we do address our presence for instance uh, what it take takes uh to make you feel like you are really in this uh, concert scenario uh, and taking also into account whether you have uh been there before or it's the first time uh, but Oh, sorry to interrupt, um, but yeah, everyone sorry. will have the same concert experience or will some people be like in the front row or other people floating in space or is there something? Yes, we, we play, we do play with all these variables. There are many things that you can manipulate there to, to change the to change the experience. But of course, one of the uh, positive of virtual reality is that you can attend the concert scenario. You can also be in the front row or you can be on the stage with the band, you can perform with the band, right? Or maybe, um, yeah, you see yourself as a member of the band, not just as a, a spectator, right, from, from your seat. So you can uh, engage with the, with the group and with those around you. So we're trying to address all these facts and aspects. That's really interesting, yeah. Um, okay, so that's, that's a project that, um, is not quite a Proteus effect project. So do you have any Proteus effect research that you're excited about currently, um, either in a later phase, like closer to publication or in the ideation also? So um, uh, for instance, I, I guess that at this point, the, the closest uh, research uh, perhaps I can uh, relate to the Proteus effect is the uh, the latest uh, racial bias study that uh, we did, which was not in the context of the concert scenario, but uh, that's um, a, a future step, uh, perhaps we say it. And um, uh, what we basically uh, found that both the type of the body have virtual in virtual reality, but uh, also the social context um, that's depicted in the virtual scenario both play a role in how your implicit bias is modulated. Um, so in, in just a few words, we, we showed that uh, whereas, uh, as it has been shown before, 
uh, under neutral and positive experiences, there can be a reduction of your uh, implicit uh, bias. Then, in negative situations, this might lead to the to the opposite effect. There might be an increase. Um, so. Um, uh, meanwhile, in, in, in a different uh, in a different study where we do use our concert scenario in a way, uh, we address um, uh, action in uh, groups and how uh, those around you can affect your uh, own behavior. And we're doing it in um, a group walking scenario inside the, um, inside a virtual theater where we manipulate the appearance of those around you to be either in a group, in a group or an out group. And then we're uh, measuring uh, uh, synchrony with those uh, around you and uh, metronome that we have in theater and so on. So it's, uh, yeah, it's just bringing different studies uh, together, not necessarily related to the concert scenario. But again, like I said before, we're using this as a platform to, to uh, study different ideas that uh, sure, we have. Sure. So I've always found this topic very interesting, um, embodying a darker or lighter skin avatar and then measures of implicit bias. Um, the first study on this was, I think, Victoria Groom and Jeremy Balenson and maybe some other authors. And it was a job interview scenario. And they found that using a darker skin avatar made you more biased. But then uh, there were some other studies. The Peck study I mentioned found the opposite of that. A darker skin avatar reflected less bias. And then subsequent studies have found less bias. So it sounds like this recent um, study you're, you're describing tries to tease apart the reasoning for why the disparity between those findings. Are you referring to the, is this the Royal Society Open Science paper? Yes, that's correct. And the, the idea behind it was exactly that. that uh, whereas in, in the studies that we've done uh, at the lab and in, in some other labs, so we've seen this reduction in implicit bias. This first study reported by Groom, there was this increase. And of course, um, the, the idea, uh, the thought was that since it was a negative social situation, it's also linked to uh, racial discrimination and other sorts of discrimination. Uh, it might have affected uh, implicit uh, bias in this uh, negative uh, direction. And that's why we, we did this new setup to try to um, separate, yes, these this factors and see how bias is modulated. But of course, there's a lot more work to be done in this direction. It's not conclusive. And, um, sure. But, um, but yeah. now, ba based on your understanding of those findings and the, the kind of uh, general area of research, um, what would you say is useful, let's say for gamers um, to, they're going out into virtual worlds and they're, you know, at their consumer uh, virtual reality systems and they're, they're hanging out with people, maybe they're running around like Fortnite, but in VR, in avatars, shooting each other. Um, what recommendations would you have for developers or or the users themselves to reduce racial bias or gender bias if there are crossovers here um, in terms of how they choose their avatars right so um it's a complicated uh, question and i don't know if there is a simple answer to that and of course the gaming is not my background and i haven't done uh, any studies with gamers i know there are people who dedicate to research uh, on that 
so I cannot really uh, speak uh, for them. But um, based on what we found so far, and the fact that we cannot yet generalize the findings to the entire population because there are cultural and other differences, and this need to be taken into account. Um, so our findings, or maybe the findings of some others might be quite different when you run the study in Spain or in Europe or you go in the US or even within the US, right? There are a lot of uh, differences. So we do not know how our findings generalize to draw some uh, conclusions uh, like that of what you should or should not do. And the other aspect is that in these cases, we're talking about implicit bias. And we have yet to understand how this translates to behavior. So being implicitly biased does not mean that, you know, it's, you have some negative behavior towards somebody else. If we're talking about uh, racial discrimination in this case, then it's uh, racial discrimination. Uh, your behavior might still be the same. It's just that your implicit bias towards this person that is modulated and that's unconscious, right? You can't do anything about uh, about it. It's not going to show, but it might also show, and that we don't know. We really need to do yeah. more research in determining uh, determining that, and then maybe we can say whether we need to have. Um, a specific line to follow how something should be designed, especially when it comes to the gaming industry and so on. Sure. So okay. so that's gaming. Uh, yeah, I, I get it. Certainly context matters. Um, even some of these, the basic way people respond to in-groups and out-groups, though that's maybe a universal classification, those things might differ based on context too, based on your experiences uh, with in-groups and out-groups. Um, so with that caveat in mind, um, I, I'm going to pose a hypothesis to you, and I'd like you to tell me what you think. <laughs> new context, not gaming. How about Zoom calls? We're in this new era of remote work. People will be uh, meeting with their teams post-pandemic, probably regularly through Zoom. And we know there's a high level of uh, Zoom fatigue or virtual meeting fatigue. Um, we know that, that it affects women to a greater uh, a disproportionate amount than men and um, and also people of color, at least in certain contexts. Um, and so one solution that I think is really exciting is to use avatars in Zoom, right? You're, you're not yourself, you're kind of depicted in a way that maybe masks the stereotyped identity characteristics. But then I worry that if you, if you are all avatars, then you're not representing yourself exactly as you are. Um, does, that, does that mean that we kind of regress to the mean? Does that mean that we all try to look homogenous in order to look good for our boss? Um, so I, I won't pose a hypothesis, but um, I, I would like to ask you to speculate. I know certainly more research is necessary, but based on your instinct, uh, how would you suggest that these uh, corporations or, or companies or organizations kind of set up guidelines for using avatars in the workplace in a technology like this, like a Zoom call? 
Okay, so um, very interesting. And as a matter of fact, um, a few weeks back, or might be also a month, you just lose a track of time when you're spending your whole time indoors, really. Uh, we uh, had a very interesting panel discussion with uh, Marco Gonzalez Franco uh, from Microsoft and uh, Timoni West from Unity on the use of avatars and um, uh, the future of uh, virtual representation and virtual environments or online representation and so on. So we sort of, all, uh, sort of discussed these, um, uh, these ideas and what we foresee happening. And again, there's uh, a lot of research uh, going on uh, in this domain with um, uh, scientists trying to see how virtual representation, uh, even if we're talking about uh, avatars in Zoom meetings, uh, can be employed um, in different context, uh, either within the same uh, company or across different disciplines at different companies. So for instance, and, and, and again, I don't know if there are going to be um, a gu guidelines really of how you can do this because just to pose a very simple um, example, uh, it has been uh, uh, found before that um ah sorry i forgot to mention in our in our panel discussion uh, veronica from uh, portugal she's excellent in doing um uh, avatar uh, research in, in avatars and um, there's um if sorry, you uh, there's uh, veronica or valo or uh, okay got it veronica, got sorry it. if you hear me i i cannot pronounce uh, no this, problem this she's the uh, founder of uh, the demo uh, they're doing excellent uh, work on uh, on uh, avatars for uh, quite a few years now. Um, so uh, it has been uh, it has been shown, for example, that uh, when you're working uh, in teams where they have to do a lot of um, work on uh, design, imagine you have a, a, um, a car model you have to go over, right? Right? Or um, they're engineers and so on. And when you have when you employ a virtual representation, it might not work as well because you don't want somebody obstructing the queue all the time. So. Uh, you just want maybe a little head floating around in the environment just to so you can talk with, to each other and get the main concepts and you can always have a clear view of your model okay? because you need to take joint decisions but then you might have other cases where you need to uh, express some ideas or emotions to co-workers and then you uh, end up wanting a more precise virtual representation, one that can have, you can add uh, facial uh, animations to, so you can express all these emotions and so on. Uh, and that's, that's a different aspect of it. Um, and then of course, whether people are going to opt for uh, choosing a, a lookalike virtual representation, so basically, uh, themselves right uh in, in vr or as an avatar online so on or whether they're going to opt for um for one that uh is hiding the real identity um again i don't know if there are gonna be like strict guidelines for that where would we want to see others being what they look like in reality or that's gonna be up to them because maybe they want to change this representation. And in cases where they do not have the chance to do it in real life, maybe this is how 
they would like to do it uh, in, in the virtual and online world. And um, can you really take that away from them? Um, I, I, I don't think so. But there are a lot of different components involved uh, in that. And we, we do know so very little about it. But um, maybe the last year has made us more uh, um, open uh, towards thinking in this, uh, yeah, in this direction and uh, what's really going to happen. Uh, and yes, I don't know, it's a, it's, a, it's a complicated question. I think there will have um, more things coming up, especially if we continue with this, uh, this situation and Absolutely. locked inside. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, so we've gone from virtual concerts to uh, avatars in the workplace, both uh, the informal and the formal. You're doing amazing work, Domna. I, I didn't want to take more than 30 minutes of your time. Um, so just with the last question here, um, what is one burning research question that you think is really exciting uh, that you'd like to pursue that you haven't started a project on yet? Um, a burning one, I can't, I can't tell you. Uh, uh, I have one like that. I certainly have a lot of ideas that um, are around the same uh, concept of uh, body representation because there are so many questions still to be answered and um, sometimes we just aim at doing something that's uh, very uh, new something that's going to make the difference but then we really need to drill down into the specifics and the details of that in order to be able to better understand what's happening uh, so so yeah I think that this is more important to me uh, at the time uh, and taking as an example the racial bias studies i would really love to understand better what is really going on there uh, what are the mechanisms that lead to these results we know nothing about it it's just whatever we've seen online but um uh, for example uh, there are so many studies that can be uh, done on the neural level too to, to get uh, into to understanding what's really going on there. And uh, we're still lacking studies in this domain. So that's exciting. And I'm that sure more exciting. people yeah, yeah, would love to. It's certainly a topic worth um, both replicating and extending. You know, the, yes, the exactly. first study really set us off on some confusing thinking at first, but uh, you followed it up and you've helped clarify that issue and you've done amazing work and, uh, and you uh, volunteered your time today for the podcast. So thank you so much for all of those. Thank things. you. Thank I you. Yeah, it was yeah. great chatting with you. And I hope we have the chance to meet each other at some point. Uh, in Absolutely. <laughs> I'd love to visit Barcelona. Um, it's on my, my to-do list. <laughs> um, all right, I'm going to stop the recording. Um, so thank, thank you, you everyone for listening.